0: Hello and welcome into a Edition of the Rocky Mountain Hoops Podcast, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I am your host, TJ McBride from MileHighSports.com, your home for all Colorado Sports, professional, collegiate, or preps. So make sure to go check out Blue Wire Podcast, all of the different podcasts they do, as well as Mile High Sports. This show today is going to be brought to you by Untuck It, Terrapin Care Station, and the Regulators Production Group. The Regulators Production Group are the ones who made the beats on the intro and outro of this podcast podcast so without them the podcast would not be anywhere near as good as it is So, definitely thanks to them and you are going to hear quite a bit more about Untuck it and tariff and care station later on let's get into what the substance of this podcast is going to be because there is a lot to go over in this one the nuggets just got done with a back-to-back against the cleveland cavaliers and the los angeles clippers they went one-on-one on that back-to-back losing to the cavaliers at home and then beating the Clippers by 10 the next night. Um, I'm going to get into both games, definitely try and talk about what was interesting, what what the real big takeaways are from those two games. But in addition to that, I want to talk about a couple other things. I want to talk about the Nuggets playoff matchup possibilities when it comes to the Los Angeles Clippers. Because I thought there was a lot to learn from this game in terms of how that kind of a matchup could play out in a playoff setting. Talk about the Nuggets injuries that they are currently dealing with because they are much, much, much more banged up than people realize in my opinion. We're going to answer some uh, some questions from listeners as we always do. And then we'll get ahead um, into what is coming for the Nuggets next next four games these next two back-to-back sets that they are having to finish out a big portion of this month so lots to get into but there is nothing more important in my eyes to discuss right now than the fact that the Denver Nuggets are much more injured than people are talking about I wrote a piece on MileHighSports.com that is up there right now on Paul Millsap's injured left knee. It has been called a left knee contusion for the majority of the time that he has been out or in and out of the lineup, I should say. But now that has been um, not corrected, but there is an addition of not just left knee contusion, but it's left knee contusion slash sprain. I know sprain usually doesn't sound too bad, but people need to understand that when you have a knee sprain, depending on the degree of ...of the sprain, which is not currently known, there could be some level of tearing within that knee, whether it's ligaments or part of the cartilage that exists in the structure of the knee. So the fact that they have had to add sprain to that injury report is very, very notable to me because it does lead to the possibility that this knee issue could be worse than we have originally thought. Um, In addition to that, Paul Millsap, when he spoke about his knee injury to Mike Singer of the Denver Post and I at practice a few days ago, he outlined the thought that he had played on it too early and kind of tried to fight through it and it made things worse. Now he's dealing with swelling in the knee as well as what he called a couple other little, little things he didn't tell us what those little things were when asked. Just a couple little things is basically what he said. But it's very clear that Paul Millsap is banged up and that this this injury is more worrisome than it originally used to be. Um, it, Michael Malone continually keeps reemphasizing that this is not a long-term concern, as did Paul Millsap, but that, I mean, there's very clearly something concerning going on. And if there is swelling, if the knee is sprained, and depending on that severity of the sprain, this injury could get worse. So it's good that Paul Millsap understands that he needed to rest it's good that Paul Millsap understand that he can't allow this to get worse and he's made that decision so it looks like he'll continue to rest a little bit more going on down the line until he gets that knee right uh, Paul Millsap is not the only player banged up, though. Jamal Murray, uh, he apparently almost did not play against the Clippers, despite the fact that he was not on the injury report. He is still dealing with that lower back injury that ha- that kept him on the injury report for a couple games earlier in the season, that-, that trunk contusion, that thoracic back sprain kind of thing that he is dealing with. So Jamal Murray's lower back almost kept him out of the second night of a back-to-back against the Clippers. So that'll be something to monitor. Plus, Jamal Murray seems to always be banged up in some small way. He's never been just 100% healthy. That's something that Jamal Murray has not been able to get towards at any point in his career, which is frustrating. That's a very notable thing, in my opinion, and it's something the Nuggets are going to need to figure out because Jamal Murray just cannot continue to play just you know slightly banged up like he has been. So. It'll be interesting to see how the Nuggets handle Jamal Murray going forward. I would think that they should try and find some rest days for him, especially if he's playing in games in which physically he might not even be able to play in until the doctors get a look at him right before game time. So Jamal Murray, just as well as Paul Millsap, is something to be monitored. But it's not just Jamal Murray either. Gary Harris also was close to not playing in this game and it's not for the shin contusion that has kept him on the injury report as of late apparently there is some tightness in his groin that is uh inhibiting him from being the best version of himself and just like jamal murray michael malone said after the game last night that there was um concern that gary harris wasn't going to play at all in this game Uh, gary harris proceeded to only play the first three quarters of the game and did not play in the fourth the Nuggets as he was unable to close because of that groin tightness. So again, I'm wondering if Gary Harris also has some rest days coming up in addition to Jamal Murray and Paul Millsap. But it doesn't stop there. Jeremy Grant got leveled by a Montrez Harold screen in this game. And there was a scary moment in which Will Barton went up for a layup game down. And um, it looked like his groin was bothering him too, that core area. But he hopped back up, finished the game, and was helpful. But the Nuggets are going to need to rest some guys soon because they're getting very, very banged up for being for it being only January 13th. And if they're going to be this banged up and they're going to have so much depth with the trade deadline, That's really kind of my thought on that. All right, we're going to take our first break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about both the Nuggets lost to the Cavs as well as the Nuggets matchup with the Clippers. So stick around. We'll be back in a second. tucked button down shirt they usually look well bad why because they were not meant to be worn that way Thankfully, there's Untuck It, the original button-down shirt actually designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape, Untuck it shirts always fall at the perfect untucked length. With more than 50-plus fit combinations, Untuck it shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. For me, it's difficult to find the right clothes that fit. I'm short, I'm stubby, clothes just don't look the right way, but that's why Untuck It is so good. You can choose from the styles you like, like ring. Free button down, super soft flannels, outerwear, and more. And with Untuck It, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or too big ever again. And what makes this even better? Is that their website is super easy to use. They have an entire page devoted to just helping you find the right fit. So, whether you're shopping for the perfect gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuckit is the way to go. Visit Untuckit.com and use promo code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's U N T U C K I T.com and promo code BLUE for 20% off. Dive into the Nuggets' loss of the Cavaliers and the win over the Clippers, but I'm not going to go into just incredible detail because, in my opinion, the more interesting conversation to have is what we learned about a potential playoff matchup between the Nuggets and the Clippers in the Nuggets' 114 to 104 win over the Clippers last night. Um, That'll be the last thing I talk about in this segment. So we're going to get into the Cavaliers game first, but again, I'm not going to be incredibly long-winded when it comes to these games. The big takeaway when the Nuggets played the Cleveland Cavaliers was the optics of the loss were disastrous, but the loss itself just really was not. And that's despite the fact that I felt that it was disastrous the night of. I had to kind of walk myself back a little bit. I still have some very serious concerns about the bad habits this Nuggets team is developing. But in terms of that loss in a vacuum, it's not as big of a deal. The Nuggets were generating good looks. They just weren't falling, whether it was three-pointers or layups or whatever it was. And despite that fact the Nuggets were still very, very close to being able to pull out that win regardless. Additionally, the Cavaliers hit a bunch of shots that were ridiculous and shots that were outliers and anomalies. Would you have Colin Sexton score... You know, 26 points or whatever it was, that's an outlier. That's not something that is sustainable at this moment in time. With that being said, though, the Nuggets defense definitely struggled to contain the likes of Darius Garland and Colin Sexton as they continually sliced into the paint over and over again. The last negative for this Nuggets team in that game against the Cleveland Cavaliers was the fact that Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson absolutely owned the glass. And those were the big reasons why. The fact that the Nuggets were unable to contain the perimeter and that they were beaten on the glass so thoroughly is really why they lost this game. But if you have a couple of those open shots fall, just a couple, the Nuggets win anyway. That's why Michael Mullen was not crazy upset or, you know, going nuts in his postgame presser. It was one of those nights where the Nuggets lost to a team. Because shots just didn't fall for them while shots did fall for the opposing team. So that I think is something that is an important distinction to make that the Nuggets loss in a nutshell was bad, but the way they played was not as bad as the loss makes it seem. Uh, plus, everybody wants to keep talking about how the Nuggets continually lose to bad teams, but every single team in the Western Conference that is a playoff team has between 5 and 7 losses to teams under five hundred, except for the Lakers, who are like 20-0 and against teams under five hundred this year. So the Nuggets, just like every other team in the Western Conference, is losing to teams they are better than randomly because, frankly, the Western Conference is just more talented top to bottom. It's not that they have, you know, the war. Years don't exist anymore, and the Rockets took a step back, and this and that. But the parody from seeds 14 to 1 is so much different than it was in years past. So, when you're playing the Pelicans, or the Mavericks, or the Blazers, or the Spurs, or whoever you want to insert, they're not as bad as typical bottom, you know, bottom living teams usually are in the Western Conference. So, that parody definitely has a lot to do with it. But I don't care about that game anymore. I'm uh, moving on. Three minutes is plenty talking about that Cavaliers game. Let's talk about the Clippers game real quick because I thought this game was much more interesting in terms of what can be learned from it. Um, Just off the top of my head real quick, Jokic was brilliant once again. 20 points, 15 rebounds, two of which were offensive, 13 defensive rebounds, which was very, very important in this game. Uh, 6 assists against just 2 turnovers he had a steal in this one was a plus 5 in 31 minutes after shooting 6 of 14 from the field and 3 of 4 from 3 Nikola Jokic's three-point jump shooting has been spectacular. He's shooting like 45% since December 1st from the three-point line, which is just absolutely insane. And when he starts hitting threes like that, it's like Michael Malone said post-game. Nikola Jokic becomes completely unguardable when he is able to hit that shot regularly. He pulls the big out of the paint. All of the cutting lanes open back up. Jokic can suddenly create mismatches for himself or for others. The ball starts to pop again. And the Nuggets create easy looks for themselves, so that is very, very encouraging, is to see Jokic playing so well and hitting so many threes once again. Uh, The other really encouraging part of this Nuggets win, which they won by 10 over the Clippers, was the fact that Gary Harris looked like Gary Harris in the first half, finishing at the rim, hitting three-pointers, playing spectacular defense, turning defense into offense, but... As I said, to kind of open the podcast, that injury bug bit once again, and he was unable to finish the game because of groin tightness. So very, very interesting to see how Gary Harris' progression happens from this point going forward, but he was good in that first half, and it was good to see Gary Harris play like Gary Harris once again because it feels like it has been a very, very long time. Uh, Michael Porter Jr., after a disastrous three minutes against the Cleveland Cavaliers, was much better in this game. He ended up playing 19 minutes, which I thought was perfect. Michael Malone did a great job of keeping him out there for extended periods of time. He was six of eight from the field, one of one from three, and just continues to look effortless as a scorer. Also had four rebounds in those 19 minutes, two of which were offensive, and he had a steal and a block shot. He was a plus 10 in those 19 minutes and had 13 points. There was even a moment in which he scored what was it? Nine no seven straight points for the Nuggets and nine of 11 um, in the second quarter. He was very very good and it's getting to the point to where it's so clear that Michael Porter Jr.'s scoring ability and just the instinct is absolutely out of this world. I am sold on the talent level. Absolutely unequivocally sold. He is so so fucking talented as a scorer and Yes, there's going to be some issues defensively, and there will be for a long time, and he's still trying to figure out where to be, and he is so clearly still just a baby deer out there trying to figure out where the hell to be, but the fact that that's all 100% true, that he is still trying to figure out how to just play NBA basketball, and he's able to have performances like he did tonight, or two nights ago, or... Man, I need more coffee. (laughs) Last night against the Clippers, it, it speaks volumes about the type of player that he can be at the NBA level in time. So once again, extremely encouraged by Michael Porter Jr. And a very interesting piece of this matchup was with Paul Millsap out, Jeremy Grant started, and the Nuggets played small off the bench. Torrey Craig played power forward a lot of times, while Michael Porter Jr. played the three, and when they had that smaller ball lineup, they were able to run, there was a lot more floor spacing, there was a lot more room for people to operate in the paint, and because of that, the Nuggets bench unit looked much, much, much better. And Monte Morris, when I asked him after the game about how much better the bench unit felt playing small ball. He said that that's something that he hopes they do more of going forward. So very encouraging. Michael Porter Jr. Minutes had a couple very nice defensive flashes in which I turned Matt Moore sitting next to me and screamed tools in his face as I continually do on Twitter as well. But overall. Nothing but positivity from Michael Porter Jr. in this game. Uh, like I said, though, the bench unit showed up very, very big in this one. Uh, Michael Porter Jr., 13 points in 19 minutes. Torrey Craig had 11 points, three re- or 5 rebounds um, in 27 minutes while shooting 4 of 6 from the field. Monte Morris had an awesome game. 12.6, rebounds, or 12.6 assists, only 1 turnover, 5 of 9 from the field, 2 of 4 from 3 in his 18 minutes of action. Mason Plumlee, 6 rebounds four assists seven points in 16 minutes everybody contributed and when Monte Morris is this locked in and he is playing this well and there is that much space for him to utilize the Nuggets bench goes to an entirely different level I was sitting pregame courtside, just kind of like shooting the shit with Kendra Andrews of the Athletic, and Monte Morris sat down, and he turned to me and he goes, I saw I saw your tweets on Twitter, I am back, and he was just like, he had this aura of an, a, a different level of confidence about him, and he was making it clear, like, Monte knew he was going to have a good game against the Clippers, and he backed it up, and to see him not be his worst enemy in terms of being so hard on himself, and to play into that confidence was very, very encouraging, because the Nuggets bench. Unit goes as Monte Morris goes. And for him to play this well really led to everything else working very, very well. Um, And the last thing I'm going to talk about is that Grant's, Jeremy Grant's defense uh, as a as a matchup nightmare for the jumbo wings and the elite wings that the Nuggets are going to have to face in the playoffs was extremely encouraging. And he did a great job on Kawhi Leonard. He probably guarded every single Clippers player in this game, whether it was Montrez Harrell, Lou Williams, Kawhi Leonard, Patrick Patterson, Mo Harkless. He was just switching seamlessly from one through five and was such an impactful defender while doing it. And that really is the starting point, in my opinion, of what was notable about this game, not in terms of just this win against the Clippers, but in terms of a potential playoff matchup between the Nuggets and Clippers. Jeremy Grant was the X-factor in this game. His ability to use his length, his athleticism, and his versatility defensively to make life more difficult for Kawhi Leonard was extremely important to the Nuggets' win, and it's something that they're going to have to use in a playoff setting. Of course, this is Kawhi Leonard we're talking about. He can score whenever he wants to, despite whatever defense is on him. But the fact that the Nuggets finally have a six foot nine wing defender with a seven plus foot wingspan who can move um, horizontally while rising up vertically to be able to contest shots with the rim and defend on or off ball is something they just frankly have not had in a very, very, very long time. And because they finally have that player in Jeremy Grant. They can make real efforts to defend Kawhi Leonard and actually have a defensive scheme that isn't just, let's just hope he misses shots. They have defenders who can be impactful against those kind of guys, and it starts and ends with Jeremy Grant. Torrey Craig's a very good defender. Gary Harris is a very good defender. Paul Millsap is a very, very, very good defender, but... They do not have the athletic ability, the length, or the size to be able to match up with the Kawhi Leonard, the LeBron James, or the Paul Georges, or the Kevin Durant of the world. And having Jeremy Grant is such an important part to a potential matchup with the Clippers in a playoff cut type setting. Um, Also, the other very interesting part of this matchup, in my opinion, is the fact that the on-ball pressure of Patrick Beverly is going to make life for Jamal Murray extremely difficult. Yes, Jamal Murray had 11 free throw attempts in this game. Yes, he made 10 of them. But this was only the second game all year in which Jamal was able to get to the line 11 times. The idea that Jamal can just keep baiting the physicality of Patrick Beverley into fouls is just not as sustainable as, as people make it seem. What is more sustainable is Patrick Beverley, despite the fact that he played 20 minutes, was able to help hold Jamal Murray to 4 of 12 from the field and 1 of 3 from 3 while only creating 2 assists against 2 turnovers. Patrick Beverly has the ability to eliminate Jamal Murray's offensive production from the game entirely, and Jamal Murray is going to have to find a way to deal with that on-ball pressure. The issue is is that Jamal Murray is not a threatening three-point shooter right now, so they're going to go under screens on him or at least not have to fight over with the same vigor that they would for a Jamal Murray that's actually willing to pull up from three, which he just will not do. But Beverly, he, he has the ability to swallow up Jamal. Jamal does not have the handles to get by him and he does not have the three-point shooting to pull him far enough away from the rim. So those two things are going to hurt the Nuggets drastically in a matchup, because the two-man game between Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray is what allowed the Nuggets to thrive offensively in the playoffs. If Patrick Beverly is going to blow up all of those opportunities seemingly every single second that he's on the floor, the Nuggets are going to have a big part of their offense entirely removed. So somehow, (coughs) Jamal Murray is going to need to find a counter for the defense that Patrick Beverly plays. He did a good job of goading them into fouls in this game, which is why he had 11 free throw attempts. But I have trouble believing that he can consistently do that against a guy like Patrick Beverly, especially in a playoff setting. But that's going to be very, very, very notable going forward, especially to see how that matchup potentially plays out in a playoff setting. Because of that, Will Barton III's importance to this Nuggets team in a matchup with the Clippers cannot be understated, and what sucks is that this is a very difficult matchup for Will Barton. So Paul George did not play in this game. Let's just pretend that Paul George is healthy. If Paul George is healthy and you have Jeremy Grant on Kawhi Leonard, that means that you either put 6'4 Gary Harris on 6'9 Paul George, or you try and use Will Barton's you know slightly taller and longer frame to at least try and bother him. which I assume is what the Nuggets will do. That means that Will Barton suddenly has the burden of defending Paul George on and off ball while trying to be the low man defensively, while also trying to pick up the creation duties that Jamal Murray is not going to be able to play with because Patrick Beverly is swallowing him up. He has to be the safety foul for Jamal Murray on offense while being the low rotating man defensively on defense while also checking Paul George. That is such a ridiculous amount of work to expect from will barton and i mean will have been great this year i don't know anybody who can kind of carry that type of a load that isn't a superstar caliber player that's really the end all be all of that conversation i could not imagine the difficulty that it would take to fill that role but right now it's looking like will barton is going to have to so that's going to be a very very interesting thing to see if the nuggets and clippers do end up matched up down the line the only way the Nuggets can try and get another defender into the game, especially with that starting unit, to be able to try and defend the Paul George Kawhi Leonard lineup is to get Tory Craig into the game. The only issue is, who do you eliminate to be able to get him in? Paul Millsap is too important to the Nuggets' overall team defense. You can't do it that way. Plus, if you're going to, you're going to have Jeremy Grant in the game. You need Will Barton's ability to handle the ball offensively if Jamal Murray is struggling, so you can't remove Will Barton. That leaves gary harris as the one player who you could potentially sub in and out to be able to get tory craig some minutes in this game that led me down a rabbit hole of trying to figure out how those matchups would work and what i stumbled upon was something that i think could absolutely work for this nuggets team and that is gary harris is the first person back to the bench from the starting unit he's the first guy away so what i would do is stagger gary harris to the bench unit and try and match him with lou williams minutes as much as possible monte morris can do a good job on lou williams and tory craig might be able to if he doesn't foul every four seconds but there is no denying that gary harris will have a better opportunity defending lou williams than anybody else on the nuggets roster additionally you can get tory craig into the game sooner to help you defend the likes of paul george and Kawhi leonard so for me I think it makes most sense to get Gary Harris out of the game around the eight minute mark in a playoff set, um, matchup with the Clippers and allow him to basically play matched up with Lou Williams as much as humanly possible to allow time for Tory Craig with the starters to be able to at least slow the likes of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard down while still keeping Will Barton on the floor while still having one of Paul Millsap or Jeremy Grant on the floor. That's really the only way I see that playing out. You know, advantageously for the Nuggets, but it's going to be very interesting to see how they go about that. And the last big thing that I take away from this game is that the battle of bench units is going to be fascinating. Monte Morris led this Nuggets bench unit to winning that bench matchup, but Montrez Harrell had 25 points off the bench, and Lou Williams, who normally comes off the bench, was starting for Paul George. If both of those guys are coming off the bench, the Nuggets are going to likely lose that battle, which is fine. It's more about playing them as evenly as possible, but... If the Nuggets can somehow find a way to win the bench matchup against the Clippers, it's going to go a very long way to being able to allow them to beat this Clippers team because Nikola Jokic can handle Ivica Zubak down low. Um, You have guys like Paul Millsap who can score when things break down. Will Barton is going to be extremely functional in this playoff setting. Hopefully, Jamal Murray can help, but overall, the Nuggets can play the starters pretty close to even in my eyes. It's the bench unit they're going to have to rely on to get themselves a little bit of an edge here or there. So um, to see who is going to be able to have the better and more sustainable bench unit in the playoffs may end up being the team that ends up escaping that round. Um, that's really all I got about this game and the potential matchups in the playoffs. So we're going to take our our second break, and I'm going to come back and answer some questions from listeners as well as look ahead to the Nuggets' next four games. <laughs> 2010, Terrapin Care Station has been providing patients and customers with high-quality cannabis products at everyday low prices. Serving the communities of Denver, Boulder, and Aurora, they offer their own flower and concentrates, as well as all the brands you love at prices that you just won't believe. They pride themselves in having the most knowledgeable and professional staff in the industry, and their team will work with you one-on-one to help you find the products that are perfect for you. Their dispensaries are unassuming, safe, and discreet, with ample parking at every location for a seamless retail experience. For up-to-date menus and promotions, head over to www.terrapincarestation.com or just come visit one of their five convenient Colorado locations today. Again, that is terrapincarestation.com, T-E-R-R-A-P-I-N, carestation.com. favorite segment which is answering questions from listeners of the show and nuggets fans alike and there were some good ones in this one so thank you guys to responding to that tweet as always and sending in all of these good topics it really helps me kind of talk about some different things that maybe aren't mentioned enough or haven't been discussed at length because i get questions from listeners so Thank you for doing my job for me, I guess is what I'm weirdly saying, but it definitely helps to have people provide different talking points that maybe I would have overlooked. So let's dive into it. Um, I'm not going to try your at. It's like one I, 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 one, one, I, one, one, I, or something. I don't know, but thank you for sending a question in. He asked Monte at the one and Murray at the two works very well. Do you think Malone should play this more often? I absolutely, unequivocally don't know why he hasn't done more of this, but. But it makes so much sense to me to play Monte Morris with that bench unit more often, or Jamal Murray with that bench unit more often with Monte. They fit really well together. Even going back to last year, Monte Morris told me that during their summer workouts, not this past offseason, the season before that, Monte Morris and Jamal Murray were developing some awesome chemistry together, and that has played out in the numbers. So, yes, I do think so from that perspective. The other side of this perspective, which I will also talk about and answer from another question that I, that was sent in, is I think that it could work, for the Monte and Jamal portion of it, I'm not sure it will work as well if Michael Porter Jr. is in the game. I don't think Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray are going to coexist well on the same plane. I just don't. I think their skill sets are too similar, but I digress because I will get into that a little bit more later. In terms of just getting the Nuggets bench unit to a more respectable level, I do expect to see See some more Jamal Murray and Monte Morris backcourt together. Uh, hey Felipe on Twitter asks, "What can you say about the rotation and ball movement tonight?" Also, thanks for sending this question in overseas. It's awesome that there are so many listeners of this show who are not in America. So thank you to all of you guys. But. I loved the way that Michael Malone played this rotation. He didn't play his starters too many minutes in the second night of a back-to-back. Um, yes, Jamal played 38 minutes, but Gary Harris only played 24 after not finishing the game. Jokic played 31. Jeremy Grant played 33. Will Barton played 32. He also found 27 minutes against the Clippers for Torrey Craig. Got Michael Porter Jr. 20 minutes. Mason Plumlee still played 16 but didn't play too much. And overall, it's hard to find fault with that. I thought the Nuggets rotations were good tonight. I thought it was good to play Michael Porter Jr. and Torrey Craig together with Will Barton off the bench um, with that group all at once. I thought playing Jeremy Grant on the starting unit um, to be able to match up with Kawhi Leonard was a great decision. I thought switching... uh, Jeremy Grant onto Kawhi Leonard in the second half, and just starting with Jeremy Grant defending him was a very good decision. I thought Malone did a great job. I thought this was absolutely perfect in terms of rotation building. Uh, Makut Jr., I'm sorry if I said your name wrong. I believe I got close, but I'm sorry ahead of time. Uh, What is the deal with Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray? Do they need better cooperation? Um, They haven't played much together, but this is the thing about Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr., They are extremely similar in terms of the type of shots they are looking for. Yes, Michael Porter Jr. is more isolation-based while Jamal Murray likes to use a screen, but they're trying to get to the same spots on the floor using the same amount of dribbles with the same mental philosophy of I'm a more talented scorer than the defender across from me is a talented defender, so I'm going to go get buckets. The only difference is that Michael Porter Jr. is six foot ten, six foot eleven, seven foot, and Jamal Murray is six four. So while Michael Porter Jr.'s game is more tailor-made to be that type of isolation, go get your own buckets type of a player, Jamal Murray isn't. And he's still great at it. This is not to say Jamal Murray is not an incredible scorer. He's better than Michael Porter Jr. is right now. But when you have both of them on the floor, they're going to step on each other's toes and they have so far they don't fit well at this juncture in the season and at this juncture of their careers as they have coincided that could change over the years but as of right now i do not see either of michael porter jr or jamal murray changing their game so much to where the they they fit together well we need a whole lot more sample size before just killing the idea that they that they can't play together but As of right now, I am concerned with how they fit. Plus, neither of them are, you know, plus creators off the dribble. Neither of them are high-volume three-point shooter. And neither of them are really guys who are, you know, get off the ball and swing pass every four seconds. It's not what they do. So I do wonder how they're going to coexist because right now they don't coexist very well. Uh, D Rod thirty eight ninety seven on Twitter asks, uh, "Should the Nuggets trade Murray and go long on Michael Porter Jr.? Do you agree or disagree?" So for me, I okay. So I'm not answering the question. I'm using this this question as a vehicle to be able to talk about something else, which is Jamal Murray's contract situation. Um, just trading somebody to trade somebody is a terrible decision. At any point in the NBA, so the idea of just trading Jamal Murray just to get Michael Porter Jr. a few minutes without him is completely illogical in my mind. What this does open up the possibility for, though, is the conversation about Jamal Murray's contract extension and how he fits into the tradable category of Nuggets players. So, one, he is completely unable to be traded this offseason. The only, or this season before the trade deadline. The only way that it, the Nuggets can trade him before the trade deadline is if the team that they are trading him to has enough cap space to absorb his max contract. Not space below the tax, not anything like that. A full maximum contract underneath the cap, which requires like $38 million in cap room. No team that has that amount of cap room wants Jamal Murray's exorbitant contract. So, Jamal Murray is not going to be able to be traded at any point during this season. But then, even once July 1st comes this offseason and the NBA calendar year flips over and Jamal Murray becomes a maximum contract player... He's He has no trade value at that point. Jamal Murray is not good enough right now to justify a maximum contract, which means if you're going to try and trade him, you're going to get pennies on the dollar. So... In my eyes, Jamal Murray is completely untradeable. He is an unmovable contract. The Nuggets gave him this next contract knowing he isn't good enough to fulfill it right now. They gave him the extension because they believe he can become good enough to fulfill that contract. But that means he is immovable right now. He is somebody whose contract is a behemoth and is a Uh, is over and cumbersome for any team that could want his services. So as of right now, Jamal Murray is not going to be traded at any point in the near future. Um, last question, G carry 23. Do you think Monte is back to his old self and is the key to the bench unit playing? Well, yes. And yes, I think, I think Monte Morris is done overthinking. I think he understands he has to be aggressive. I think he understands that the bench unit will go as he goes. And because of that, he has taken responsibility and stepped up in a major way over the past couple weeks. And it has led to a much, much, much more sustained, productive bench play. So, what is to come now. The Nuggets have today off Monday. They will practice tomorrow on Tuesday the 14th before taking on the Hornets at home on the 15th for the first night of a back-to-back. They will then fly that night to Golden State to take on the Warriors at Chase Center. Then they will have another two days off before taking on the Pacers at home on the 19th and then heading to Minnesota to take on division rival Timberwolves on the 20th. The Nuggets have a very good opportunity to go for know on this stretch yes indiana is very good but the nuggets have a good matchup based um game against them i feel like they should be able to win that game so if the nuggets go three and one out of those four games that's a that's a win if they go two and two it's a loss they can see very very interesting team right now but that is all for the rocky mountain Coops podcast part of the blue wire podcast network thank you guys for listening and we will be back soon to talk about more nuggets basketball